This episode is brought to you by Vade. Vade is connecting the curb through their patent-pending solar-powered cameras, computer vision tool, and powerful APIs to collect real-time data. They make it easy to automate curb management with zero upfront cost and a simple subscription model. Learn more at vadepark.com. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association of professionals in parking, transportation, and mobility. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is Vade. We have Maddie Schaefer, Christian Burke, Ritwick Pavan, the three co-founders of Vade. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, Isaiah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, super happy to be on here. Man, I feel that we're... Breaking new uh, territory here. This is the first time I've had three guests on the podcast, so this is, this is <laughs> good times for me. But we will jump right in because we got a lot, lot to discuss today. But tell us the story behind Vade. So what does it do? I'm hearing your name everywhere now. What is Vade and how did you guys get started? So Vade is all about connecting the curb. We're trying to maximize the amount of real-time curb data out there. And the, the origin story is me and Ritwick actually lived in the same dorm freshman year at UNC. And uh, we were both running pretty successful businesses at the time. I had a tech review YouTube channel and Ritwick had a software development firm. And we both loved tech and startups. So it didn't take long for us to become pretty good friends with each other. And over the years, we would get dinner once a month and shoot ideas back and forth. Uh, and most of them were terrible ideas. Uh, but we both wanted a bigger challenge that we could work on together. And eventually, in December 2017, Ritwick called me right outside of the shower, which is a classic Ritwick thing to do. Uh, and he, he brought it up, and he, he didn't bring up an idea this time. He brought up a problem that needed to be solved. And as you can guess, that problem is parking. And because we, we came at it from the angle of this is a problem, and we'll do whatever we can to solve it, rather than just an idea, uh, we really stuck with it. And, and that brought us here today. That's a great story. I get some of my, my best ideas in the shower. So that's, uh, <laughs> I, I love the origin. It, 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 like uh, Wozniak and Jobs started, started in a parking garage. Uh, Vade started from a parking shower. So that's a great <laughs> All right. So what were the next steps? So you, you, you realize there's a problem. Did you guys consider making an app? Did you, what decided, what made you decide to focus on the curb and solving curb problems? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess to answer your question on that, Isaiah, when we had first started, like Maddie was saying, it was all around just parking as an overarching problem that we saw. So, uh, you know, when we actually started, we had messed around with sensors. Uh, you know, we thought, let's go in, put sensors in every single spot and, and track whether the car is parked there or not. And that was more so just internally, we had thought that was a good idea. And, and quickly, we realized after talking to cities, that we were going down the wrong path. So we literally spent the first six months, you know, just working on sensors and then realizing nobody wanted it. And, and the key problem that we realized wasn't parking itself. It was a lack of real-time data around parking. And so when we started reaching out to the cities, uh, we finally were able to come across a much better solution. We were able to bring to them something that's scalable, something that, you know, they don't have to worry too much about. And so we actually built some wireless cameras and, and you'll be hearing more about that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the camera. So why do you feel 
uh, cameras are better than the traditional, typical, the hockey puck space sensors? Yeah, Isaiah, I can take care of that for you. Um, so the, the hockey pucks had a, a big problem, mainly when it just came to dust and dirt, everything that goes on the road and would cover these sensors. Uh, since they would have to be seeing the car above them, if some snow fell on them, it would think that a car is parked there, or it would think that there's just like no data at, to actually get. So when um, we came across the idea of these cameras, it, it just made sense that it'd be almost like your own personal person looking over your parking space for you. And the, um, the snow and the other problems that came from those little hockey pucks would not be an issue. Yeah, it's great. I've heard stuff too, where, you know, a big truck drives by and kind of throws the sensor off. It thinks there's a car there. And then the maintenance of them too, versus a camera being mounted on a pole that no one could reach or touch or a drunken student can't. <laughs> yeah. try, to, try to kick versus one that's that's in the in the parking <laughs> space so uh what and then what particular about the vade camera technology do you think is unique from from other solutions on the market today uh well we we found some big issues pretty early on um we did a pilot out in radnor pennsylvania and realized that power and network were two of the main issues you know in terms of power wiring the power actually took way too long and cost far more than the cameras themselves we were out there at like 5 a.m. working with some um, electrical installers and we're thinking, wow, this, this is just taking way too long that we, we need a better solution for this. And also in terms of the network, we had once those cameras were actually up on the poles, we had to go around to local businesses that just happened to be around the parking lots, beg them for their Wi-Fi passwords. And, you know, th- that just clearly wasn't scalable. So we realized that a cheap and easy installation was absolutely necessary to make this a feasible solution. A camera that didn't require wired power or Wi-Fi because that just wasn't going to scale. So we, we got to work and after a year, we finished our patent pending cameras, put a whole bunch of blood, sweat and tears into them. And now we have the first fully wireless cameras that have no need for power, network or even permits that would come with the, the whole installation process. They're totally solar powered. They have a backup battery, um, their own cellular connection, and it just takes five minutes to install them. Wow, that's impressive. Especially, uh, I'm glad I, uh, it doesn't come with instructions to go ask your, your neighbors for the Wi-Fi password. That's, a, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. So is this something, I mean, that, that anyone can do, or is this something where you've got to be really high techy to, to you get your camera in the mail to, to mount this? Or is this, you guys have made it pretty easy where it's pretty easy to, to mount these? Oh, it's incredibly easy. I was installing cameras um, down in Raleigh, North Carolina, just with a ladder. I was pulling up to parking spaces and then just throwing them up there. I mean, it's just a little band strap that you wrap around the pole and tighten down. Um, So I was actually able to cover a 20 camera installation uh, within about an hour. And that was just with me and my car and a little step ladder in downtown Raleigh. Oh, wow. That's very impressive. And and again, did some research. I was thinking about you know, what would be the, the benefits of this? Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is, is parking availability. So I'm assuming the cameras, you know, look, researching your website and, and your, your case studies. So they look at the lot, they see if spaces are empty or occupied, and then they pass this information on to real-time availability parking apps. Is that something that you're doing now, you're looking at, you know, how do we, how, you know, you got the availability, how do you get this to the public? Yeah, you're exactly right, Isaiah. Uh, that's the heart of our solution, you know, the real-time API. Um, it caters to the actual developers who are going to be writing the code to use our data. So as a programmer, I made sure that our system was really easy for these developers to integrate. You know, we had Raleigh get our data into their pipeline within five minutes. 
Um, so with that data, you can actually do some cool stuff. I mean, parking apps can navigate their citizens to the nearest actually open parking space um, rather than using just predictive analytics to guess where something's going to be. It to tell you that this zone has four parking spaces currently open. So you're not going to actually have to drive around, waste your time looking for a parking space in a busy yeah. city. And can I interrupt, Christian? I hate to interrupt, but I remember that was one of the, the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the SF Park Pilot, but I heard that you would have an app that said, hey, there's a space open on Main Street. They would drive 10 minutes there. And of course, these spots turn over so fast by the time they got their cars in the space. Then they look at the app and say, oh, there's another one here 10 blocks away. They drive. So it was almost like creating more cruising. Uh, so I like the idea of like zones, you know, hey, there's 10 open spots in this zone or, hey, this lot has 12 open spaces right now could help solve the problems better than a space by space. Yeah. And so speaking of the SF Park, you know, the dynamic pricing pilot, we talked about this on the podcast a few episodes ago with, with Julie Dixon, but you know, that, that program was, was great. It, it saw a reduced in, in search time for drivers, um, less emissions, of course. Even the businesses saw an increase in, in sales tax, meaning more people were spending money because they did open up spaces. But there were some pitfalls talked about on the, on the previous podcast. Why? That's my question. Like, why isn't every city doing this today, in your opinion? Is this like the, the infrastructure needed to do it in the past, or is this a political issue? What, what, what do you guys think as far as that? That's a really good question. There's, there's obviously a lot of variables at play, and that's actually the question we first asked when we started the company, and it's really shaped the approach that we've taken. We saw those results of the less congestion, you know, drivers got the spots faster and all those amazing outcomes. And we, we then realized like, well, that's the solution. Why isn't it in every other city? That was almost a decade ago. Where is it? As we dove deeper, you can really, you click around in a few links and then suddenly you can find an answer and it comes down to the limitations of the hardware. And those limitations went far beyond price. I mean, price, of course, matters. You can't spend, you know, a billion dollars to get this data. Uh, but what we realized is from the hardware perspective, the practicality, the actual ease of using and installing and integrating it and maintaining uh, the hardware is, is really important. And back then, almost a decade ago, or yeah, around a decade ago, uh, the hardware just, it wasn't there. There were far too many problems and it wasn't effective enough. So we really honed in on that practicality point. You know, speaking of the practicality, did, I would ask how, you know, how did you use some of the lessons learned from the, from the pilot to incorporate into your solutions, to improve your solutions or your value proposition? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Isaiah. So we actually started by addressing what would be the underlying practical obstacles with our hardware. Because I mean, as it turned out, that would simultaneously help us make huge strides on the pricing standpoint as well. So in addition to the technology uh, with the SF Park Pilot, what we really saw was that cities care about the parking data, and uh, this can be used in various different applications. So it helped us form a solution to a problem using our own technology. I mean, we know that hardware is an essential evil, uh, and, and we were able to work around it you know, by providing these cameras to cities for free and, and being able to just work on a data as a service platform. And, and a massive part of that solution was how we frame the product. So you know, the cities at the end of the day want the data. They don't care about the cameras and they don't care how they get the data. 
but it's important to them that they're able to uh, get that parking data, whether it's to make better urban planning decisions, whether it's to show their citizens, uh, you know, wayfinding, whether it's for enforcement. I mean, there's so many different applications of it. So our central focus became around that data. And the SF Park Pilot was, you know, one of the things that we were able to learn from when, when building our product. No, that's great. We're, 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 thank you so much. And so you, you said a couple buzzwords in there, wayfinding, enforcement. So that, that was the next question I had. What, what are, we talked about availability, you sending that through APIs to different apps to put cars in, in the spaces, but uh, what are some other benefits? How can cities or even universities or private locations use VADE to increase revenues or lower their operating costs through your solution? Oh, there are so many possibilities, and it's actually been hard for us to choose a few to focus on here at the beginning, because uh, ultimately we want to hit all of these because it stands to make such a big difference. Wayfinding is obviously big, uh, especially with mobile adoption. Everybody wants, every city wants more mobile utilization, and uh, the more convenient a parking app is or the whatever app you can pay uh, for parking on, the more citizens will use it. Uh, and then the more they'll actually pay for parking. That's one of the biggest benefits of having a convenient mobile app for it. In our first pilot, we, uh, we cross-referenced transactional data, and we found out that 30% of the, the minutes spent parked uh, by any cars were not paid for, which is a huge, huge number and percentage of time at the curb uh, that should be paid for that isn't. So with a, a more convenient parking app option, we can get that number down, hopefully down to 10, 5, or even 0%. And so everybody is paying when they need to be. Enforcement's also big, uh, whether it's on the predictive routing side, using real verified violation data to set those routes instead of historical citation data. That's super useful from an efficiency perspective or real-time notifications from more of a public safety and vision zero angle. And then recently, uh, we've seen a lot more interest on the loading zone side of things. And and with that, it's, it's very much a data collection approach is that a lot of cities just have no data at all on their loading zones. Uh, so it's not even that this is better than what they have. This is the, this is the only data they have. And, and we can tell them exactly when their loading zones are being used uh, and who is using them, the types of vehicles using them. And that becomes really important uh, from the allocation perspective in, in terms of deciding how to allocate those curbs throughout the day to, to best serve the constantly changing landscape of mobility options we're seeing man spot on there's companies like core that that's that's their whole mission is to they call them smart loading zones but they're missing that element uh where like a camera solution like you guys could offer to send that information back to their digital curb mapping so that's that's really exciting and and the one thing you, you mentioned too is enforcement and i've seen videos of this i can't remember where but i'm curious if you guys do this but are you able to like put cameras up and then mark certain spaces as, um, you know, you can't park in them, whether it's fire hydrant, bus zones, crosswalks. And then if a car is parked in it, is your, are you guys working on something like that where it can actually read the plate number or send an alert to a PEO that someone is parked in a zone that they shouldn't be? Is that something that you guys are exploring or could explore? Yeah, yeah. So those public safety violations are our main focus when it comes to enforcement. Um, cities only capture about like 5% of the expired meter violations, but you know, nobody wants to flood their citizens with parking tickets. But when it comes to double parking, blocking bus lanes, and you know, those public safety violations, it's a different story because like firefighters might need to get to their hydrants to save lives. And you've got it right. Uh, we can work with any enforcement solution a city's using 
linking directly into the routing software and to send officers separate notification or read the plate for, you know, vendor to mail citation. Yeah, that's great, Christian. That's really, really cool. I think we're going to see more and more of that in the future. Um, and you're right. I think you're spot on about the 5% of tickets are actually written because usually that's not the goal. The goal is meter compliance. But when it comes to safety violations, cities don't mess around, man. Getting, you know, how many times have you seen a line of traffic? It's because the, the delivery trucks double park because there's a car in the loading zone or, or whatever that's, that's causing all these big reciprocal problems because it's oh, exactly. so, so simple. But All right. So yeah, we talked about occupancy, availability, enforcement, wayfinding. Any other curb management challenges that Thade Solution could, could help solve that you can think of? Totally. We're, we're constantly thinking about where, where the curb space, uh, quote unquote, is going to be in, in five years or 10 years from now. And the way we see it is curbs are kind of the base infrastructure of mobility in cities. And real-time data around those is, is going to completely change the way we, cities, drivers, everybody thinks about the curb. Because for the first time, it's a real source of truth uh, for what's going on at the curb. Let's take loading zones, especially in the wake of COVID. Uh, a lot of cities are looking at their loading zones because they need some revenue. And uh, monetizing those commercial vehicles is, is not an easy task. But unlike general parking, the delivery and rideshare vehicles are parked for very short periods of time. And if you're giving them the choice, they're going to take the odds of getting a ticket overpaying for like four minutes of time at the curb. So our solution, the way we're building it, it doesn't just make it easier to monetize those loading zones. It can completely automate the entire process. Not only can we, we monitor demand in real time, but you add a, another camera, another one of our cameras for LPR, we can identify who that vehicle belongs to, track exactly how long they stay, and add it to a monthly bill that they're in with like a fleet management system. And that way, they're not going to waste time at the curb. It'll reduce dwell times. They'll also be able to avoid more tickets. And the city gets a new revenue stream. And the vehicles are really just the start because ultimately what we're doing is getting a, an image of the curb and we can analyze it for anything. And, and we're, we're using curbs and, and parking as our entry point, uh, but there's a lot, of, a lot of room to grow within that in terms of pedestrian counts and micro-mobility options or even like identifying trash on the road or, or something like that. So the, there's a lot of possibilities in the future, uh, but we're, we're trying to intentionally stay very focused on parking and, and curb management, at least to start. Wow, yeah, that's so cool. You know, the airports did it right where because it's such a controlled environment, they could, they could charge Uber and Lyft every time they, they come into the airport to pick up and drop off. They can tell them where to go. Um, so airports are charging and they're making money off these rideshare companies, but cities have failed to do this. There's no cities out there charging Uber and Lyft every time they're using their, the city's curb space. And the reason is because we don't have the technology to do this we, in the past. So I think if if you guys can solve that challenge, that's that's a pretty uh, remarkable. Yeah, it's not their fault. There, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, they, the parking system was built and and still runs the same as it did almost a century ago. But for the first time, we've seen a real shift in in what demand looks like for the curb. It's not ninety percent private vehicle storage anymore. It's it's more like fifty percent and fifty percent of uh, a whole variety of commercial vehicles. So. Uh, what we're trying to do is, is help cities upgrade their infrastructure so they can do those kinds of things 
uh, and they, they have the choice and the tools at their disposal to charge Uber and Lyft if they want to and stuff like that. Yeah, man. Well said, Maddie. Thank you for that. So any, I'm thinking just in the smart parking technology realm, do you see any value in uh, using the VADE technology in conjunction with some of these other smart parking technologies that we haven't discussed? Definitely, Isaiah. I mean, as we spoke to more and more partners in the parking industry, we learned uh, you know, that these integrations are one of the most important needs for both the cities and companies. And, and that's why we eventually uh, shifted our primary focus to building a robust API. I mean, there's a lot of components when it comes to smart parking, which can sometimes be challenging, especially when we're talking to so many different customers and potential cities. But the main thing is, you know, these can all be connected and utilized together to produce even more powerful reports that can help with urban planning and decision making. We'd almost always prefer to work with partners when it comes to working on, you know, out of scope things like when it comes to like parks equipment, uh, digital signage, citation management, or, or pay stations. But you know, allowing this this kind of allows us to focus on what we're trying to provide and scale as fast as possible with it, and that's that real time curb data. And when it comes to our API, we we want it to be applicable. Sorry, to anything. You know, this includes wayfinding apps, as I mentioned earlier. We've got enforcement. We've got dashboards. And if a wayfinding app, like let's say Google Maps, had wanted to incorporate our real-time parking data, we, we wanted to provide them an easy means to do so. So when it comes down to it, you know, we've built this, uh, in a way, universal puzzle piece that can be put into any, any puzzle and, and works, you know, and, and, adds, and has some added benefits to it. And so that's kind of what we envision being a value add for smart parking and, and smart cities down the road. Yeah, thank you, Ritwick. You, you talked about it earlier. This cities really don't care how they, they get it, but they really want that data because there's so much they can do. There's a big smart city push outside of parking, just smart cities in general. Um, so having solutions like that to help will go a long way. But I guess my, my cynicism would be when parking professionals are in the middle of a pandemic, budgets are stripped, and I'm doing the math you know, to put up couple hundred cameras in a downtown that that's got to be pretty expensive so like what what does that look like as far as i think you said there's no wiring which is nice it's easy to install but what is the cost of like the cameras and the infrastructure needed to, to support the system so there's actually no upfront cost with these cameras um, maddie will talk about that in a second but in terms of the logistics of actually getting these cameras up there it's incredibly easy, you know, since our, power, our cameras don't require any power or network, you know, maintenance or setup at all. Uh, we can install these cameras on power poles, street lights, and even buildings, you know, what is, whatever's easiest for the city. Oh, wow. So no upfront costs. I think uh, you have our listeners' attention. So is this like a software as, as a service, like more of like a, a, a lease deal? I guess that's the question. How, how does Vade make money. So what's your value proposition there? Totally. Yeah. So it is, it is like a SaaS model. Um, we call it a data as a service model. Uh, it's, it's licensing the solution for a monthly subscription. And the, the base very rough approximation you can use is about $100 per month per camera. But it really comes down to the details of the number of integrations, the, the number of spots, the, any bespoke development. Um, but that's a general ballpark figure. And it includes everything. We provide the hardware, we do the installation, we do all of the maintenance included. You get access to the API, you get the dashboard, everything's all included for that price. And that's the cities at the moment. 
Long term, we're really interested in the B2B side. Right now, cities, cities are used to being the ones paying for stuff. You know, the parking apps aren't paying for data that the city's collecting. Um, so we're kind of operating within the system as it is today and as it stands today. But in the long term, when we're looking at parcel delivery and food delivery and TNCs and all the commercial vehicles, they all stand to benefit a lot from getting access to this data. They can avoid tickets. They can boost efficiency. So we're selling to cities now to really understand the value we're creating and to get more data and start entering more of those markets. But you know, down the road, three to five years from now, our goal is really to, to shift that, that cost burden onto those for-profit companies that are, that are you know, making more money and benefiting financially from this data. And then in exchange, we can be even more affordable or even potentially totally free for cities. Uh, so it's down the road, but we're definitely, definitely interested in the B2B side. Yeah, I read an article. I can't remember the numbers, but it was like FedEx in New York City every year pays like $100 million in parking tickets. Something crazy. $50 million, I can't remember the numbers. Yeah, FedEx, FedEx yeah. and UPS combined uh, pay $50 million a year in New York City, and that's including their stipulated fine program. And if you go through UPS or FedEx's 10K, there's no mention of parking tickets. This is a line item miscellaneous you know, cost of doing business for them. But if we can, if you can eliminate 50 million bucks for, for those two companies, you know, that there's a lot of potential there. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if they, if they had the solution that could tell them where to park and cut that cost in half, they'll do it. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. And yeah, I do have a question that, that I just thought of, but what if cities already have some, you know, a lot of cities have these CCTV cameras. So do you, are you able to do, you know, some sort of integrate your software with the hardware already installed or no, they, you guys have the specific patent camera we have to use? What, what does that look like if, if cities already have hundreds of cameras downtown? That's a really good question. Um, you know, we're not sure how, we're, how we'd go about pricing that or building it into the business model. But recently, we actually asked ourselves the same question and we made our software agnostic to the source of the images. And, and we have you know, almost a thousand camera feeds coming in from different cities now of, of CCTV traffic camera feeds, uh, and they're wrapped into our system. And, and we did that mostly as a proof of concept, just so we know that anytime a city does have uh, a network of cameras installed, that we can start with those and then fill the gaps with our own hardware. And we're seeing some variables in how many cameras a city has or what the ownership structure is, or if they have the technical resources to easily integrate it. But at the very least, uh, it seems like a, a very logical and sound decision to support that if it is available uh, and then fill the gaps with our own hardware. Oh, thanks for that clarification. And, and then like, you know, what, what's a good, is there like a rule of thumb for one camera equals how many spaces? You know, if I have a hundred space lot, what, what does that look like? It may depend on how tall the light posts are or is it, do you guys have like a rule of thumb there? So budgeting purposes? Yeah, so, so with the, the cameras, I mean, on an on-street you know, if you're looking at parallel park spots, the camera can cover between five to 10 spots. I mean, depending on, of course, if there's obstacles, trees in the way, any of that sort of thing. And then if you're looking at off street lots, you know, like you said, if it's covering a hundred spots, depending on the height of the poles or uh, the location, and again, the trees, we, we're looking at probably 25 to 50 spots that can be covered in an off street lot as well. And pretty importantly with that, uh, because there's a lot of variability per, per situation, we remove that complication from the city's mind. 
you know, they, they say we want data from these spots. We do the, the legwork of figuring out where cameras need to go, what coverage we can get. And of course, we'll give the option of it. So, you know, there's this many cameras to get every single spot, or we can use half of the cameras, but still get 80% of the spots. And, you know, we give that option to the cities. But in terms of figuring out where the cameras can go in the coverage, we, we handle all of that complication. No, thanks for clarifying that, Maddie. So, okay, so you had this idea in the shower. Uh, Ritwick has this idea. And now you guys recently were awarded $500,000 in funding. So first of all, congrats. Secondly, you know, we Thank have you. a lot of a lot of small businesses, entrepreneurs listen, listening to these podcasts. So I like to add some lessons learned. But what was that like raising funding in the middle of a pandemic for parking also while being on the East Coast as opposed to, you know, Silicon Valley or, or, or whatever. So what was that journey like for you all? I mean, to, to keep it straightforward, Isaiah, it's probably one of the biggest challenges we've faced. Uh, there were a lot of hard decisions that needed to be made. I mean, when it came to our valuation, how much we wanted to raise, or even things like what we wanted to accomplish. I mean, as I'm sure you know, the parking industry has been one of the industries that has struggled throughout this whole pandemic. So, so we had to change a lot of things on our mindset and, and figure out how we're going to survive and also how we'll be able to, you know, provide value during the pandemic. And so uh, outside of that, you had mentioned the East Coast. There's obviously, uh, you know, a, a pretty big discrepancy when it comes to the West Coast funding and the East Coast. There's far less VCs here and, and the ones here are much different. You know, it's pretty funny because going in even in a seed round where you're expected to, you know, prove your concept normally, you know have a few customers, pilots going on over here, they probably expect revenue by that point. So, you know, they don't look at the same risk or return profile as the West Coast, which, you know, they're going for a much safer investment. But fortunately, we had started fundraising actually right before COVID hit. And we had enough going for us that we were able to have some incredible investors participate. And this included a hedge fund billionaire, Julian Robertson, pretty big guy in the industry. And along with that, we had some local angel investors who were confident enough in us as well as our vision to invest. And, you know, it means a lot to have their support and confidence um, despite, you know, the uncertain times that we were going through and, and we're working hard every day to make a, a significant return on their investment one day. I'm sure you will. What a great story. Yeah. And I see now you guys are surrounding yourself with really good advisors. I've seen some of the names on the website. So I know you have a great team there. You guys are going to do great things. Uh, I guess my final question is, what's what's next for Vade? So you got the funding. You seems like you've launched a few pilots. You're surrounding yourself with this great team. Uh, what are what are the next steps to to scale this uh, pretty impressive solution? So we're trying to be as as thoughtful as possible when it comes to scaling. Uh, up until the seed round earlier this year, we were primarily in development, and and now we're really focused on launching. So over the next year, we're looking at probably five to 10 cities and really being hands-on, testing different use cases, integrating with different partners, and dabbling in some of those B2B markets we talked about. We're fortunate to, be, to have a great partner like Raleigh, who we're working with to explore the possibilities of our technology and the outcomes it can create and what you can do, especially regarding loading zones. But one thing we're really conscious of is, is parking and curbs are at the center of the general public. Uh, municipalities, the private sector, there's, it's very important to the, the overall modern economy. So the, the move fast and break things strategy can have serious consequences if you do it wrong. You know, you're not, 
You're not operating in a vacuum. These are real things uh, that we're talking about. So we're taking it step by step. First, we need 10 cities, then 100, and then 1,000. And don't get me wrong, we made our solution scalable very intentionally. And we're not going to hold back when we're, when we're ready to press on the gas, but we really want to get a feel for what the impact is and what the outcomes we're enabling uh, on a small scale. So, so we're, we're certain that we can manage it at a larger scale and, and bring those benefits everywhere. I think that's a great strategy. It's a big industry, but it's also a small, tight-knit industry. I know that doesn't make sense, but I mean, there's a lot of money to be made, but the community is very, very tight and talks. And so you want to make sure you're launching and, and everything's going to plan, which I'm sure it will. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for, for joining the podcast. I think this is an exciting product. Can't wait to hear more, to, to see more. And um, just wanted to say, have a great week. Thanks for joining the podcast. You too. Thank you Thanks for having, having us on. So What's the best way for listeners to learn more? Do you guys have a, a website? Yeah, head yeah. over to www.vadeparkvadeparkcom and there's, there's plenty of cool info on there and uh, you can schedule a demo if you want. Great, and I'll put that website in the show notes along with uh, their contact emails. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great week. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, the Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com consulting. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org textbook.